Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy Files series with a look at Jonathan Taylor. I will say, everybody, if you're a Jonathan Taylor stand and are not open to changing your opinion, I'd appreciate if you let this episode run out so I still get the view, but you might not love everything I have to say. I am being objective, though, and I fully realize Jonathan Taylor is a fantastic real-life and fantasy running back. I mean, the guy just finished as a PPR RB6 behind only Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, David Montgomery, and Aaron Jones. And come on, he ran for the six most freaking rushing yards in college football history at Wisconsin. You know, I saw my Buckeye shut him down one time. I thought he wasn't all that. Then goes, you know, for well over 100 yards in the Big Ten championship game, looking like the best player on the field at times. So I fully understand that this dude deserves to be one of those rare running backs where the term generational, which usually annoys the piss out of me. Hey, with Jonathan Taylor coming out, if he's not, you know, in your top tier prospect, I'm not really sure who is. So with all that said, I just don't think his 2020 season was quite as dominant as a lot of people thought from start to finish, because, you know, 1,468 total yards, 12 touchdowns, that's awesome. I get it. And in fantasy land, we don't really care about style points. Every touchdown is worth six points as a rusher receiver, 10 yards counts the same, just no matter how many broken tackles you had around the way. I would just say people, it took him a while to get to the point where he was winning people just games purely by his own, you know, before the Colts week seven by Jonathan Taylor was the PPR RB 15 only to reach 60% snaps and or 20 touches on one occasion before, you know, week 12 and just some weeks one through 11, he was a PPR RB 16. And then he missed week 12 when he got put on the COVID list against the Titans. And then Jonathan Taylor went super sane. I mean, it is ridiculous, everybody. I'm going to quickly just go through his weekly uh, running back ranks. And you can check out this article on uh, pff.com as well if uh, you just want more of a table view of it. But basically, Jonathan Taylor from week one. Week one, RB15. It's RB14. RB24, RB36, RB18. Against the Bengals, he got a nice RB9 finish before the bye. After the bye, he went RB48, RB22, RB36. And then this is when he started going off. He got the Packers in week 11. He went RB12. Again, he missed the game against the Titans. And then to end the year, he goes RB5 against Houston, RB2 against the Raiders, RB15 against Houston, RB10 against the Steelers, and RB1 against the Jaguars to end the season. So before the last six games he had, we only seen him operate as an RB one in one week against the Bengals. And it wasn't like, okay, I don't want to say the whole thing was a strength of schedule issue. He had a great game. It is kind of looking that way. I mean, his other good games were against the Vikings and Jaguars. Jonathan Taylor can't control uh, how good the defense is across from him. Again, if he's just making them all look bad, then that's not something we should take away from him. This is kind of funky, though, because I think we could all agree that in the season stretch, Packers, Texans twice, Raiders, uh, Steelers were obviously a great defense, but Jaguars, I mean, we were looking at five or six games there at the end against objectively terrible run defenses. And it's not something, again, to necessarily hold against him as a reason not to draft him in 2021. I just haven't seen Taylor really have this pointed out for him as much as someone like Dave Montgomery. Even Derrick Henry, uh, I feel like people were kind of giving a lot more, not, not like they were taken away from the guy, but again, Taylor, Henry, Montgomery, let's treat all these guys, you know, final stretches of the season with their respective strength of schedule equally. It's a factor and they all benefited from it. So I would guess I would say with Taylor, is he good enough to be just a massive exception to the rule that we want running backs that can catch passes? I don't think he is because looking at last year, just purely rushing stats, PFF rushing grade, he was 13th among 48 running backs with at least hundred carries. 
forced missed tackles per rush. He was tied for 18th yards per carry. He was tied for 10th yards after contact per carry. He was tied for 19th and stuff rate, which measures how many times you were stopped at the line or in the backfield. He was tied for 16th. So look, Taylor is a great running back, but again, people, if we're trying to project 2021 volume, he's going to need to be almost even better than he was last year in terms of just on a per carry basis, because I don't see him necessarily getting the exact same workload again. Credit to him for really turning into a pretty solid receiver. 22nd best PFF receiving grade among 48 qualified backs. His teammate, Naeem Hines, is actually number one. But truly, I mean, there's a stat for like most of the season. Unfortunately, he dropped uh, three passes in his final two games. But through week 16, like Jonathan Taylor had caught 35 of 36 targets or something bonkers. I mean, this was a concern coming out of Wisconsin. And we see this with a lot of running backs from Wisconsin-type systems. Uh, A.J. Dillon in Boston College is similar. They don't catch many passes, and we wonder – hey, they not catch the passes because they're not a good pass catching back or is that just because the offense didn't ask the running back to work in the pass game that much? For Taylor, he's not Naeem Hines, but it clearly doesn't look like it's you know enough of an issue to keep him off the field. And we saw that consistently in 2020. But people, this is not 2020. It's 2021. And now we got to deal with life with Phillip Rivers instead of Carson Wentz under center. And Rivers has been the one over the years to really formulate and just kind of engineer these high receiving friendly seasons for his running backs. I mean, just in terms of total targets in the running backs, Phillip Rivers in 2020 ranked fourth. He was first in 2019, fifth in 2018, and 10th in 2017. The Colts, before Rivers got there during the Frank Rock era, ranked 21st, 9th, and 26th. Carson once uh, over the past th- four years has gone 20th, 8th, 19th, and 29th. So each of Reich and Wentz had a top 10 season in terms of targets to their running backs in their own right without Phillip Rivers involved. So I'm not saying these guys aren't going to be ignored. I just don't think they're going to combine, you know, Hines and Taylor and Mack and Wilkins or whoever, whatever running backs they had. I don't necessarily see them combining for 131 freaking targets again. The O-line, fantastic. But we've talked on this podcast again and again, the O-line doesn't matter as much as we think in fantasy land. It's the volume that matters. Last year, PF has top five highest graded offensive lines and run blocking produced four top 24 PPR backs. The bottom five offensive lines and run blocking also produced four top 24 PPR backs. So O-line remains great, but without Rivers, people, this hurts. I mean, I don't think people quite, maybe they do realize how bad Carson Wentz was. I just... It's been since 2017 that we saw this guy work at an MVP level. And even when we look at 2017 Wentz versus 2020 Rivers, I know the game's changed in the last four or five years, but people, I mean, 2020 Rivers averaged, he had about 8% higher adjusted completion rate. He averaged two more yards per attempt. He wasn't quite as good in big time throw rate, but he had less turnover worthy plays and he took uh, nine less sacks, even though he played nine fewer sacks, excuse me. And despite playing uh, several more games than 2017 Wentz, that was 2020 Rivers. If we go 2020 Rivers, versus 2020 Wentz, it's a disaster. Like I'd have to put an NSFW tag on this podcast. We wanted to go through that comparison. I'm just saying, I, I floated out there on Twitter that this is a QB downgrade. Like going from Rivers to Wentz is a downgrade. And I was kind of getting some backlash on that. Okay, if Wentz gets back to MVP form, he's going to be fine. I don't hate on the Colts for going with Wentz, taking that opportunity. We just don't really have much evidence of first-round quarterbacks failing to get a second contract from their, you know, failing to play at least six years with their original team and then going elsewhere and thriving, you know, the whole like change of scenery storyline. It just doesn't add up in real life. Here are the first round QBs that failed to play at least six seasons with the team that drafted them since 2010. Josh Rosen, Paxton Lynch, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, 
Blake Bortles, Johnny Menzel, Teddy Bridgewater, EJ Manuel, Robert Griffin, Brandon Whedon, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Tim Tebow, and Sam Bradford. I think Wentz's best case scenario in 2021 and beyond is kind of forming to be like a middle-class man's Sam Bradford, maybe higher. Maybe he's a complete exception to the rule. You know, we got Haskins, Darnold, Trubisky, Goff, and Wentz about to qualify in 2021. I just don't like hanging my hat on someone being the exception to the rule. And that takes us back to Jonathan Taylor, because I've brought up all these concerns about Wentz being there. What about the backfield? Because as much as we would love to see Marlon Mack not matter in 2021, he's back people. And Marlon Mack would matter less on 31 other teams in the league. Unfortunately, he matters most on the Colts because this dude racked up 2,184 total yards and scored 18 touchdowns for the Colts during the 2018, 2019 seasons. If you want to say every running back in the league is just a guy and they don't matter, yada, yada, yada. Fine. I guess Mack doesn't, you know, necessarily separate himself from the pack, but this dude is, was not just someone that he was a starter on like an awful rushing game. He was legit. And this guy is shifty and clearly Frank Reich and company love him. So that's before Naeem Hines, last year PPR RB uh, 18. I don't think he's going to take much of a step back. I mean, the issue, people, it's not just the Jonathan Taylor show. Naeem Hines is absolutely going to be involved. And I would be very surprised if we don't see Mac and or Wilkins carve this out into a three RB system. This is not to say that Taylor will not lead the Colts in yards, touches out of the backfield. He is their lead running back. I know that the problem is almost every backfield is a committee these days. Taylor is not one of the few exceptions where he's the only back because even in a best case scenario where Mack and Wilkins just aren't even involved, we still had Naeem Hines catching those passes. That's why guys like Cam Akers, guys like Joe Mixon, I've been a, I'm more on them than Taylor just because of this opportunity. We need Taylor to be a Derrick Henry exception to the rule in order to overcome his lack of touches. So one uh, cool study I've been doing doing just to basically try to make sure we aren't ranking guys too far ahead of what their volume situation looks like. Because I understand, you know, sometimes I think I'm almost too much of a slave to volume, like efficiency matters, your offense matters. I just think it's a good way to check what you're doing. And with that in mind, last season, one target was equal to about 2.5 rush attempts for NFL running backs in terms of PPR points earned per carry and per target. So using that, I took our PFF 2021 projections, applied you know the expected points per carry and target to get this fancy opportunity score for all the running backs. Jonathan Taylor comes in 13th people. I mean, he is behind McCaffrey, Cook, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, Eckler, Mixon, Aaron Jones, Najee, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers. Like, I'm not ranking Jonathan Taylor 13th. I have him a little bit higher. I'm just saying, in terms of raw opportunity, we are betting awfully hard on Jonathan Taylor to be an exception to the idea that we want to target pass catching running backs and full point per reception formats. And when we're going from Phillip rivers to Carson Wentz, I'm not so happy about taking that uh, leap of faith. I mean, it took a long time last year for Taylor to turn into the monster that I think a lot of you probably remember more fondly in the final few weeks of the year. I mean, I, some of the freaking just uh, people freaking out about the plays he finally did make. It, it was getting nauseating uh, a little bit, guys. I mean, there was that one 39-yard touchdown against the uh, – no, it was against the Texans, I believe. Like, it was fourth and one. The Texans brought a blitz. They literally did not cover Jonathan Taylor. Phillip Rivers recognizes it, gets the ball, Taylor in the flat. He runs untouched 39 yards in the end zone. And, the uh, you know, next day people are just going, oh, my gosh, look how big and athletic this guy is in space. He had some great runs, particularly against the Raiders and Jaguars to end the year where he was 
was making a linebacker missing the hole, exploding to the end zone. He is a freak in terms of just size, speed, ability. At the same time, people, Jonathan Taylor forced eight total missed tackles as a rusher in weeks one through 10, compared to 37 during his final seven games through the playoffs. This wasn't an instance of this guy looking like a world beater in the first 10 weeks, and we were just like, how come he isn't getting more touches? It was a lot closer between Hines, Wilkins, and Taylor than I think a lot of people want to remember. So that takes me to our PFF Lily stat for Jonathan Taylor. And that is that last season, Naeem Hines, Jordan Wilkins, and Marlon Mack combined to outsnap Jonathan Taylor, 585 to 511, as well as rack up more carries and targets in Taylor, 272 to 271. I understand that the last seven games of the year, Jonathan Taylor's show. We did see at the end of the year, Jordan Wilkins hit the COVID list. And again, Mac was only available for 11 snaps all season long. Unfortunately, I just think Taylor isn't going to have quite as much of a, you know, 300 touch upside as a lot of others do. So he's my PPR RB 12. He has an ADP as the RB seven underdog and fantasy football calculator. I just don't think that we should be betting on him to again, be the exception to the rule that we're looking for three down running backs. I'm not going to fault anyone for putting cam Akers or Joe Mixon behind Taylor. And Hey, this is just for full point per reception scoring. If we're going half or God forbid standard, I get rising him up there. Like put him above Aaron Jones. He's top six territory and just standard scoring. I'm not doubting that. I just think that again, the game we play in fantasy football, if you guys listen to my podcast with uh, Mike Davis from last Monday, like I, he did not know he has not played fantasy football. And I told him how you get one point for reception, same as you get for picking up 10 rushing or receiving yards. He thought it was messed up as well. So not alone on that, but it's the game we play because of that. I'm forced to be lower on Taylor than most. And I know I'm going to get slandered for some of these quotes and, you know, my article about it there on social media, but I'm trying to help out. I'm trying to be as objective as possible with these guys. I'm not willing to take the leap of faith that I feel like a lot of people are with Taylor, making him a top seven RB as for Naeem Hines. I don't see him replicating that top 20 finish. I don't see him really getting close. I'm honestly, I mean, lower end of top 40, I think would probably be the closer to more realistic scenario. If you're going pure zero RB, he's fine. He can give you a nice, uh, you know, floor week to week, but he's gone ahead of guys like Latavius Murray, Jamal Williams, Alexander Madison, and just have so much more upside at disaster strikes. I mean, Hines is two injuries away from being, you know, this super, you know, fantasy workhorse type of back. Unfortunately, guys like, again, Latavius, Jamal, Madison, I think they're one injury away from having, you know, legit top 10, top 12 upside. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please check out the rest of our podcast network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. You can recap the NFL draft with Mike Renner. And Austin Gales, two-for-one draft podcast, or get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Uh, best ball, you guys know what best ball is by now. Go to Underdog Fantasy, deposit $10 using promo code PFF. Get a free PFF edge and subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. All right, people, last thing I want to get off my chest before we get out of here. Modify Zero RB is a stupid name. If you've been on fantasy football Twitter, hopefully you've kind of picked up on some of this discussion going on. We need to name it something else. I've heard anchor RB. That's fine. One elite RB. Sure. Just draft a good running back at the top of the draft is a better name than modified zero RB. And for you to say, well, modified zero RB is just taking a running back or two early on and then following the rest of zero RB rules does not work that way. No, that's lightly modified zero RB. 
why not modify zero RB? And then I draft six running back straight. And now I, now I say, okay, now I'm back to zero RB. It's stupid for modifying it. That's no longer the zero RB thing. Come with a better name, use anchor RB. I'm getting mad. Just think about it. And I'm not even here to say it's a bad strategy. I think it's a great strategy. I, I would think the majority of my drafts, I do end up following more of a modified zero RB. Here I am using it myself. I use more of an anchor RB uh, setup. I would just say people with all these things, people are trying to find a new hip, uh, you know, slang term for these drafts go in and let the draft play as it comes to you don't go in and be hey i'm going zero rb no matter who's available to me that's how you get yourself in trouble so modified zero rb stupid name use anchor rb but it is a good strategy i would say i prefer it with that said i think the best strategy in fantasy land is having no strategy and letting the board come to you as it is so with that in mind thank you as always for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast new episodes every single day throughout this summer and believing well plenty of goodness ahead of next season as well I mean, hard as you can find all my stuff over at pff.com, new articles every day as well. hundred articles, a hundred days series going strong. Got about 40 of those suckers done already. And we'll continue to pump them out throughout the summer. So thank you again for tuning in until next time. Take care, everybody. Peace.